1: i'm on the outside i'm looking in
2: Mm. i was listening to a lot of new metal Ooh, that's fun
1: i can see through you see your true colors because inside Inside you're you're ugly ugly. you're ugly ugly like like me me. (laughs)
3: I am I genuinely can see through you. Yeah. very excited for uh, potential musical numbers that we will be introducing to the show. Yeah, there's oh, going to be a lot yeah. of new metal there. I hope. A lot. I hope that's not the case.
2: New metal spelled N-U. Mm. That's, yeah, how else would you spell it? That
3: is how it's spelled.
2: I, I know. I okay. know.
1: Okay. <laughs> we're, tra- I know. We're, all, we're all trying to make jokes, but you know, we're all trying to laugh. We're not. Sometimes no, we're just being. We're trying to make jokes, huh? but new metal is. It's inappropriate to joke. It's
2: nothing to joke about.
3: Where is uh, Mr. Matago hanging out on this kind of uh, afternoon?
1: Um, so this is the next day, right? So I'm, I am man again? Mm-hmm. Or wait, is
2: it the oh, next Oh, this is not the next, next night. This is the next day. Okay, so You're... I'm, I'm oh, rabbit. Gosh. a yeah. manimal. Okay. So Which yeah, I'm just... I love. Let's please have one of these conversations with a bunny. I'm a just hanging yeah, yeah. out okay, in my,
3: that's my bunk as a bunny. You know, uh, I, I remember that you had like a, a book set up to be uh, like a book reading thing set up so you could still keep yourself entertained as a rabbit. I don't know whether it's the thing you'd be using at the moment or not.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> not Not any book that James paid anyone to get information from, of course, but
2: of course. <laughs> okay, but you're not going to be specific about it? So it is erotica, and I just want to
3: know.
1: It's a pop
2: up up your book.
3: Wow. (laughs) I'm sure that must exist somewhere.
2: (laughs) A rabbit turning the page
1: of a pop up
2: book. (laughs) It's like nosing it over and then like having to go to each individual tab (laughs) (laughs) and pull them.
3: Yeah, a a large shadow falls over. It's very tasteful tableau of a threesome that is uh, on, on this page <laughs> and you feel the presence of somebody behind you.
2: Well, the best part of it, it is it's not just pop-up erotica, it is a choose-your-own-adventure pop-up erotica so it is like a very <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a robust experience.
3: <laughs> mm. That's a lot of page flipping for the rest
2: yeah, It's so, so, so cumbersome. No.
1: Well, what else am I going to do? I have all this time.
3: No, fair, fair. I'm
1: so bored.
3: I'm <laughs> so bored. Mister Oh!
1: C- Captain, hello. hello.
3: Um, well, I've not. <laughs> uh, I haven't had the chance to read this one. I believe this is one of Spitz.
1: Yeah, they're all Spitz. And, <laughs> you know, it's a choose your own adventure, but so many of the choices are just sealed shut.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there are many routes in life that we are not supposed to go down.
1: <laughs>
2: Wow. <laughs> yeesh wow good wow, oh, good <laughs> uh, while
3: i uh would be remiss to bother you in a time of personal leisure i Mr Matagame. I'm so bored all the time well, I was hoping um that I could borrow your rope lighter well I say borrow i was requ- i I request you take your rope lighter if you have it available
1: ah uh, sure, it's there on the rope lighter stand
3: <laughs> uh, Oromar blinks in surprise I was expecting more resistance than that but okay I can't use it now I mean you did listen to what I said literally 10 seconds you, ago you're not going to be getting it back
1: look I look you're not going you're not going to be giving it back
2: <laughs> ah <laughs>
3: <laughs> too shame it would be relatively difficult considering what I intend to do with it. He says, marching over to the kind of like <laughs> the, the rope lighter, like nook. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm unfortunately a person that's really chaotic. My desk is a lot of things, but I know where everything is and would put it back in the same place, even though it's chaos. So I can believe the idea that you would have a specific place to put your <laughs> rope lighter. And as he kind of like squirrels that away in his in his pocket. So, uh I must say, if you are bored, there are a variety of various things that need to be done aboard the Uhuru that, actually, an additional hand, or I suppose paw, um, could be of great assistance, too. Well, I mean,
1: if there's something that I can do in secret that could help, I'll certainly consider it at a later time. Well,
3: uh... <laughs> like, <laughs> I think Oramar does actually take a finger to the chin and tilts head in like a thinking motion. He's trying his best to make sure that you understand where, he's, <laughs> where, where his head space is at. And, you know, I gotta say, great to mm. hear your voice again. You also hear like sloshing. Less great to hear from that. <laughs> <laughs> um It is. Mm, 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 there we go. It is a, a bit of an effort to be able to do so, but at least I am glad to be able to maintain casual conversation as long as it is not too warm. The conversation? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Mr. Matago. If the, uh, the conv- if the conversation is a little too spicy, I suddenly lose the ability to speak. But-
1: Please, Mr. Matago is a father I made up. Call me Travis. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, uh,
1: As
2: a. Bu- what what pose is the bunny in when he fucking. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah, song he's definitely cropped, like. Sweet glass of like, like, wine in uh, yeah. on one hand. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> I, I I literally hope that everyone listening to this immediately pictured that in their head and did what we all did, which is try and pose our bodies in what we imagined the pose to be. All of us in yes, desk chairs, yeah, but trying to lay down like a rabbit. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Draw me like one of your French rabbits. Um, mm. <laughs> I feel to maintain the same level of professional relationship that I require to not be driven spare by your antics. I will refer to you as Mr. Matigo for the time being. But who knows? Maybe we could become uh, closer buddies. (laughs) And Oromar tries his best to do a winning smile, and you just get a rictus grin. It's awful.
1: Oh, is that a
3: threat? (laughs) I'm sorry I said anything. It doesn't it doesn't have to be. But um I suppose this is all I, I wouldn't want to interrupt you. You seem to be in the middle of the threesome arc, and as I understand from Spit, one of the endings is especially rewarding. So I'll leave you to it. What are you what are you gonna do with the the lighter? Oromar in the exact same, I think, perfect, like, no, because this is this is pre-programmed. So with the exact same, Mm. exact same dreads in the same place, that dramatic twirl and walk away from the previous scene happens exactly (laughs) the same as before as Oromar leaves without answering that question. Hmm.
1: It's not as fun when it happens to you.
3: Meanwhile,
0: where, where is where is Jonnet hanging? I feel like Jonnet is on the deck of the ship. I feel like Jonnet has been tasked with corralling the orphans to do like a group ship maintenance activity. We're cleaning the deck of the ship, trying to get it And back. singing. And singing, yes. <laughs> um but it started out cleaning and singing, but I think at some point somebody got it in their minds that they were going to dip the cloth that they were cleaning with in, like, a bucket of water, wind it up, and just, like, do, like, a like a smack. A rat tail. A rat, yeah. yes, a rat tail at one of the other orphans' feet, which then provoked them to grab. And, like, so now we're just, like, playing. Now everyone has welts all over their feet, and they're just, every, like, just a bunch of orphans just Rat tailing across the deck, and Jonnet is like, he's probably got the least amount of welts, but he's like, All right, who's coming for the king? Yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Uh, Um Um Oromar works onto the scene. and like a wet rag comes from off camera and just lands <laughs> smack in Oromar's face <laughs> as it like slowly falls off his face. As his face is stoic,
0: it's pure stone. And then 30 to 70 orphans all point at one individual Woo! orphan. Woo! <laughs> and Woo! then Janet looks at that orphan and then sort of steps in front of the orphan and like throws him his towel and is like, ah. Uh, my bad, Captain. Uh, things kind of got out of out of hand, but um, everybody get get back to the to the washing the deck. You-
3: that one might actually be a pretty reasonable shot. We might need to give them marksman training.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's Blinks. He came on uh, a couple ports ago, but uh, he's got a real arm on him. He's
2: a time traveling cat <laughs> as well. <laughs> that's Binks, James. This is Blinks. Mm. It's different. <laughs> Oh, the
3: the xbox game that maybe only three people remember <laughs> i remember it mm. never played it
2: <laughs> oh that wasn't uh, a movie reference never mind <laughs> uh,
3: john i was i was hoping that i might borrow uh some of your time this might actually take a little bit but maybe we'll have the chance to have some casual chat while i uh assign this task to you
0: yeah of course of- of course. What do you? What do you need? What are we doing?
3: Uh, well, <laughs> and with like robotic stiffness, Oromar, like slowly taps the side of their nose twice. Sorry, I'm still working on getting that one smooth.
2: I like the idea that it like. Actually, instead of being slow, like starts slow and then goes. Yeah. Yeah. He then catches the. Right, then <laughs> then
3: his finger with still... the other hand, and it's like,
0: yes, I'm, I'm, I'm working on that particular expression. Really, I couldn't it's... have told. I, I was. It could not have told. They're so smooth. You got it. <laughs>
3: Uh, I may have been tapping my nose, but you don't need to brown-nose me, Jonet Kessler. As, all right, it was, uh, it was he, pretty rough. It was pretty rough. I won't lie yeah. to you again, it was pretty rough. Arma, like walks away to, to the internals of the ship, sloshing the entire time.
0: Hey, you're, your insides sound wet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for you especially, trying to have this conversation via signing would be very difficult.
0: Oh, Okay. Yeah, that's fair. And then John, it kind of like gestures to the next in command, orphan, to like keep up the the deck cleaning, and he follows.
2: It's me, that mm. sing
1: for me. Uh,
0: and in, I think the captain's
3: quarters because it's one of the few private rooms that we have. Mm-hmm. You come in, and then you see that it's a uh, uh, some of the cut of the new feather weave. From our set, the unusual featherweave is there, uh, a pair of the golden cutting scissors, and an empty thread spool is on the table in two chairs.
2: Oh, Oh, this fascinates me. Nathan, I do want to know, because we had established all the way back in Wolf's Tooth that one of the valuable things that Wolf's Tooth was supplying was scissors access to those scissors because that's Um, the only way to cut cut feather weave which means orimar had some but no one else knew where they were mm. so rather than know how you got them i want to know where orimar hid them
3: Ah, we've actually hit hit on that on the first episode that i joined the show because he was rummaging around
2: (gasps) Nathan. It all pays off.
0: Nathan, you're very good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I
3: try. I, tr- I try to do my best. Anyway, yes, there were various bits and pieces that were like important tools that more important even than some of those sensitive uh, rare star watching bits and pieces that he kept in the hidden compartment in one of the drawers in his desk and was very pleased and very relieved to find that they're all still there because if somebody did actually retrieve that not only is that a really expensive thing to lose it means we also have somebody on the ship that knows how expensive like Red Feather Syndicate CEO desks work, and that's a concern. Um, Mm. (laughs)
0: So the fact that it's all still there is good. But yes, there is a a pair of uh, featherweave cutting scissors. Jonat sees the captain retrieve these, and he's just like, kind of like playfully, but also a little bit of earnestly. like, how many secrets do you have in this ship?
3: I would uh, test the gesture that I've been practicing again, but I think my nose has taken enough abuse for today. (laughs) Now, he says sitting down, while I was not completely compost mentis, I watched you do something very astounding a while ago. And let correct me if I've misremembered this. You have there was a Johnnet was experimenting with some of the new feather weave and was able to slowly using magic pull it into thread. Yeah. As many
2: teenagers do. <laughs> <You know. laughs>
3: And rather than try to explain that in character, because that's quite fiddly and I don't want to get the words of that incorrect, but he explains that back to you. Although you do remember when uh, you were able to make an entirely new textile
0: from further weave? I mean, yeah, we were we we're experimenting. We we're trying something new. And do you think you could do that again?
3: We have all the time in the day. We can maintain a conversation to kind of keep your brain ticking as we work but you have full quiet and relaxation here to work. And we can chat while you do so.
0: John, it kind of takes every, the spread and looks like the captain is like, yeah. Oh, I'm about to ask a question that out of game, I can't remember if this was told just to Gable or everyone, but Oromar said at one point, he's like, I have the crown was that that just, was everyone that everyone was it, saw it yeah as like can you
2: tell me about this crown i do think there has to be a role here because sure. John, it, you're about to cast a spell intentionally that was a spell that you cast by mistake before this is on featherweave one of the mm-hmm. most mysterious substances that exists so this is an arcana roll it is daunting You have the help of Oromar, which means you are upgrading this check by one. You also accidentally did this before, so I'm going to give you two blue dice on this. I'm going to add one more thing. I think you upgrade again because this is a ritual. This is something that is happening over a long period of time. Oh yeah, we're taking our time. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so... But if you would like to make any other preparations to cast this spell, you may do so now. How do I upgrade? Because all I have are
0: yellows now.
2: Uh, You add a new green. Oh, okay. Dope. Actually, I think you got a decent fucking shot at this. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I
0: think, I don't know if this is necessarily something to add to the pool, but as this conversation and this ritual is happening, I, I would love it if, because... The captain is a little bit a little mechanical mm-hmm. in his mm-hmm. movements, which may be kind of you know frustrating when trying to get the finer details. But I also feel like the captain would keep time so well oh, and yeah. be a little bit of like a metronome to like the if in the the windings of conversation, like if there's ever like a dip in what they're talking about, there's John maybe starts to hum something and then learns that the captain almost immediately, like, and perfectly finds the right, like, timing and, like, keeps that. And, like,
3: unfortunately, a a thing that I did establish previously, because he doesn't have a heartbeat anymore. Um, Orimar's sense of rhythm is now awful. Yes, we must now add a black (laughs) die.
2: Yeah. Uh, okay. cool I that love that. True. That is a that is a great decision that that Nathan made, and I do love it. But yeah, it does work against it, us. The, the, here. I'm I'm happy that
3: that makes this specific thing a little harder because I think it's the thing that I want Oremal to work through as character art. The moment that he gets his heart rate back again in any form will be a big a big thing. i Love um, that,
2: because then he okay. can finally well,
1: dance again.
3: <laughs>
2: Genuinely, and he Genuinely, swore yes. that he was never gonna dance again. He dances like Elaine
1: from Seinfeld right now. Guilty. <laughs> I have got no, no rhythm. rhythm. <laughs> Ooh, <it's
2: good. laughs> <laughs>
3: you 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 kid but that's genuinely a really th- a really big thing that i want to do at some point but we'll hit that no,
2: uh, nathan me. i already i see the pathway in front of me like john my third eye has opened and i have glimpsed the beautiful future that we will one day meet that dance oh shit oh, oh shit. so many, oh, too too many. many. Shit. it's too many
1: it's too many dice okay oh not fair james can read the dice and tell
0: you what you got <laughs> Oh, All right, monster. Shit. All right, so I mean it's it takes, but give me a sec. It takes. Okay. All right, so that is two successes, one advantage, and one triumph. Woo! Yeah,
3: yeah. Ugh, amazing.
2: <laughs> so yeah. You spin this gold thread out. It is Difficult. It's difficult, especially because, again, the thing that you were trying to do before was like a hasty version of the ritual that, that Dref did to create the device that you used to lift the cargo from the civility. And in your haste, you unraveled the weave itself. So, Jonat... It- you're going to get a lot out of this, like the successes. Obviously, you manage to make this thread and, and make a decent amount of it. It has the properties that the thread had before, which one of the key things is, you know, it has all of the abilities that Featherweave has. The, the heat will make it lighter, make it rise up, and probably most importantly, it's indestructible. The other thing, I'm going to allow you to choose your advantage cuz I know what the triumph should be. Okay. I think
0: just as an advantage, like I want like Jonet and the captain, the captain to tell Jonet maybe not necessarily about the crown but like the first like bird that he ever rode. Just like mm. uh just like a conversation. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. that's great. We'll play that. I out, think but,
0: yeah. in in working, because
3: uh, the, the fact that Orimar doesn't have a sense of rhythm, he does actually, for some reason, have a metronome as part of the various bits and pieces in his study. Oh. And puts that out of your line of sight, but it's in his line of sight. And uh, as he talks to you, he's using that to kind of keep the pace and meter of his speech regular. So he tell, oh, he weaves you this tale... Of, of his first flight on a bird in a very precise rhythm, almost hypnotically as you take on board this information.
0: Yes.
2: Beautiful. That is a story that we can return to at a later date. We do need to address the triumph. Jonnet, you are working over this material. And you're trying to remember how this spell worked and, and, and the things that you felt and, and the things that you did. And one of the things that really stands out to you is the feeling that you had as this spell actually started to work. It's remarkably different than what you felt when you accidentally did this before with the weave that, that Dref had worked with. I would like you to tell me. When Jonat was working with that original bit of feather weave, there was a profound moment of love in his life that had entered his mind. I imagine Jonat being 15 to really have profound love. It's pretty much either love for his parent or or his sister. So I just want to know what came into your mind as you were working with that other piece of weave.
0: I feel like Johnnick kind of, like, he started in on the spell, and then it's going shaky, shaky, shaky. And throughout, it was completely... It was shaky, but there was a moment where Johnnick got hit with, like, a sensory memory of, for whatever reason, feather weave when it starts to break down and become, like, a single line of thread again, it gives off, like, like, a smell that reminded him of, like, his mom's clothes. Yes. And so... That immediately just, like, put him in a, like, a focused state. Because in Jonathan's family, his mom was not around growing up. And so he only has very, like, dispersed memories of her. One of them is just, like, the smell of, like, her clothes. And so that is, yeah, it just took him back to that.
2: It took you to a moment between you and your mother that you were so young it was impossible for you to remember before. Yeah. And in the moment working with that previous weave, it awakened a memory that allowed you to enjoy the connection of love between you and your mother in a way that that was lost to you before. It allowed you to reclaim that. It was a beautiful thing, and it is a memory that you still have. For whatever reason, when that weave unraveled, you were filled with this sense of love, and it gave you this beautiful gift. This weave is different. It has a different scent. It is not the scent of a mother's clothes. It is the scent of the sky. It is the scent of warm air that is tinged a bit with the smell of salty water. It is a scent that you have smelled before once in your life when you touched an angel feather and it showed you a vision of your future. It's funny. The weave is similar in a way in that the memory is swelling and bright. But it's swelling and bright because it feels like hope. Thinking of that memory in the past you normally think of this memory of your future as something that is stable and and rock steady. Uh, It is faith to you. But in this moment, because of this, because of this smell and how it is connecting you to that memory, you are experiencing, you're experiencing what in that moment in the future you will experience which is hope for success in what you are about to do. And once again, you are on top of a ship. We can see much more clearly now. This ship is the Uhuru. It was hard to tell before, and that is because the figurehead on the Uhuru, the one that you sat on all the way at the beginning of the story, is broken in our current Uhuru but in this one, it is rebuilt. It is rebuilt with an image that I'll let you choose later. But you stand on the deck of this ship and at your side, you can see many ships stretching out around you. One of them we can see is the glass. We see many others stretching beside you and below you, we see a fleet of ships that look nothing like the ships of the drowned sailors who serve the Mariner. And we see this fleet of hundreds of ships, all raising as you direct your hand forward, and we can see in the distance the cruel jagged edges of an unfathomable armada led by the Mariner. And then... You're left with two beautiful spools of golden thread.
0: Can I ask a question yeah. in, of this memory, <laughs> of this future memory? Does Ormar get a feeling for... I'm sorry, does Jonnet get a feeling for or see Oromar anywhere on this ship?
2: <sighs> I don't want to make decisions about other people's characters. So what I will say is, Nathan, that is entirely within your
3: hands. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say that the next time you get this vision of the future, you will know that detail and not give it to you now. Cool. (laughs) There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So, Oromar watches you kind of like get the last piece you're so in the moment of doing so and orimar while still speaking carefully extends a hand with the scissors and we see in close-up the scissors snip the thread and with that i think it almost breaks the spell of the moment as well you no longer feel the tension of the rest of the fabric it's connected to and that sudden like break in tension kind of pulls you out of what you're doing wow this was astounding you continue to really impress and want to be john at kessler thanks
0: i mean uh thank you for this and he gestures to the table with everything on it and thanks for that and he gestures back behind him to like the metronome i i think i need Learn to become a captain. I think I need to see the liquid swords.
3: Well, I am actually particularly interested in meeting the liquid swords myself. I suppose we'll find out what kind of captain you will one day be together. And then the captain winks.
1: Skyjacks.
2: Hey Heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll, and also, coincidentally, the end of the Silver Bullet arc of Campaign Skyjacks. We're going to have all the normal mid-roll stuff, but because there is no second half to the episode this week, the rest of it is going to be me talking about behind-the-scenes stuff for the production of this particular arc of Campaign Skyjacks. And I'm letting you know up front, I got the COVID booster yesterday, the the third uh, shot in the COVID lineup. And I'm not feeling 100%, um, but I, I am going to give you the best look behind the scenes I possibly can. Before we get to that, though, let's start things off with a radvertisement. Rad One Night Strahd is a streamlined, infinitely replayable, and substantially queerer remixed retelling of the d and module Curse of Strahd by Jacob Curzer and Adam Seats, with all new art by Evangeline Gallagher. What started as a way for two friends to boil down a massive story and throw a huge Halloween one-shot together has grown into more than two years of careful work. They wanted to take a story that they loved and make it better by representing the identities of themselves, their friends, and families. They also added so, so many flowcharts and entries on game theory, meaning there is something there for everyone to take away. One Night Stroud can be run with one or two DMs and three to ten players. You can check out slash ons for extended information for players and DMs, to subscribe to live performance updates, as well as a link to the DMs Guild page to buy it. Heroes, just because we're out of October does not mean we need to end our relationship with spookiness. Playing a vampire-themed game in November can keep the haints and spookums coming well into Christmas, which, as we know from music, is a perfectly acceptable time to tell scary ghost stories. So if you want to be a part of expanding the spooky season, check out One Night Strahd. And a huge thanks to the folks over at Hydra, especially Jacob and Adam, for sponsoring the show this week. Heroes Campaign Skyjacks is brought to you by the One-Shot Network Patreon. We're able to produce shows like this because of all of the wonderful people who have decided to give us a small amount of money each month. It's how we pay our performers, our editors, commission original music, and so much more. Without all of our patrons, this arc would not have turned out as wonderfully as it did. And before I go on to talk about this arc, I'd like to take a moment and thank some of the backers who helped us bring it to you. These are mostly name corrections and name updates. Sarah Likens, thank you so much. Cassie O'Donnell, thank you. And Kevin Vaca, thank you very much. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Without you, this show would not be possible. And I hope patrons are enjoying the Skyjack's Azure Blues arc. Our Patreon exclusive story starring myself, Patrick Rothfuss, and Amy Vorpal following Jolly Jack, Margaret, and Jolly Jack's second-hand person, Jurace. The first three parts of that series are up on Patreon right now, and the next three parts are soon to come. Especially as we're heading into a short hiatus at the end of the year, it is the perfect way to bridge the gap between that and our new year and new season of Skyjacks. With all of that out of the way, let's discuss the Silver Bullet arc of Campaign Skyjacks. Now, obviously, this came on the heels of our Ungoni arc, and it was the first arc featuring our new performer, Nathan Blades. The next few things that we're doing on Skyjacks are kind of already aligned for us. Because of the conversation between Travis and Jonet, I know off in the future somewhere we're going to be doing Jonet's Sweet 16 back in Acheron. And in the coming arc, I wanted to focus a little bit more on Gable and their experience because they've definitely been on the back burner for the last two arcs. With all of that laid out, I didn't want to introduce Orimar and feel like he didn't have anything to do. Ormar very quickly into our campaign became a very important character, and throughout the character's history I've been hinting at the fact that his ghost was still haunting his body, and eventually chickens would come home to roost about the overall ruse that was behind the initial campaign skyjacks. Of course casting the character and having him played by someone other than me meant that that role had to evolve. I took a look at existing components and decided which ones needed to line up in order to give Orimar a larger arc to think about beyond, you know, the stuff that I put in initially, you know, something really meaty that a performer could dig into and make their own. And also, I wanted to tie Orimar into some of the challenges being faced by some of the other characters on the ship. Originally, when JPC was still around, Dreth and Travis were going to be facing the Cutting Stone together. Characters who had this separate problem of being chased by the supernatural wardens of death, and otherwise have very little relating their backstories, were going to be faced with this supernatural opponent that was really daunting and difficult to deal with. Now, obviously, JPC leaving the show earlier on meant that I had to sort of reconfigure how the cutting stone was going to work. I knew that I still wanted Travis to, like, face them at some point, but without a partner in that storyline just making it more Travis-centric, it didn't feel like it had the same oomph that I needed. Which is why bringing in Orimar as a PC made so much sense. Orimar, being part of Dref's whole necromancy thing, would also have an enemy in the cutting stone. I seeded that in the Ungoni plot, and come to think of it a little bit earlier than that too when we had JPC back on as a guest to talk to Dref's ghost. At that point we were very early in knowing that we were going to cast Oromar as a player, so I wanted to throw that in there and really start working on the groundwork for that plot. But it's just one of the things that I was trying to be conscious of in this, what I was originally, before we named the Silver Bullet, calling the Orimar Intro Interlude. I wanted it to be a story piece that gave everybody a little bit of business, but definitely gave us a chance to look at Orimar as a character. And give a chance for Nathan to take the stage and really make that character their own. Short as it was, a lot changed about this arc when we actually started playing it. Originally, I had planned for this to be a more intrigue-focused arc, actually trying to pick up on an old, like, like plot plan that, that I had back in Nordia, and actually even extends all the way back to the civility arc. Um, I was trying to establish that there are certain members on the Uhuru crew who are influential over larger groups. You know, we know that the crew has... <laughs> at least at the very least hundreds of pirates on it um so the idea that the captain's council when they want to move forward with plans has to be beholden to all of those pirates and more than that because pirate crews are ultimately democratic organizations they have to convince people to vote for their plans um Like big historical pirate crews would be after a prize or on a voyage for a stake in the overall claim that the crew would make when they hijacked ships and stole cargo, which means that everybody who was a part of the crew needed to vote on what they were going to do. Obviously, you know, if you were part of the crew, you could still be outvoted and do something that you didn't want to do. But ultimately, you were not beholden to the whims of the captain. You were beholden to the collective will of everybody around you on that crew. I love this idea, and I especially love the idea that the crew of the Uhuru is kind of an independent entity from the PCs themselves. You know, the PCs work with the crew, but they don't control the crew. They have to work alongside and with the crew to get their aims met. So... In the very early civility arc, you know, we had people, we, we had Gable sitting down at the Illimat table with Spit, Wendell, B, and Nodos in an attempt to sway them to the plan of actually attacking the civility. That was what I saw as kind of a prototype model for intrigue that we could have later on of identifying which members of the crew are key to enacting which plans and actually. Going about the tough work of convincing those people to go along with PC plans so that, you know, they can go out and be the cool Uhuru crew doing cool stuff. I returned to this idea actually in Nordia when the crew was going to face the Mariner. You know, that is a big threat in the setting, a big threat generally. It's a huge risk. It's something that I really needed to show that the Uhuru pirates were voting on. While they voted to capture the feather weave from the civility and unloading the cargo of that feather weave really wasn't something people needed to vote on. Like, of course, they were going to go to the one port where they could move this item for the amount of money or something approximating the amount of money that that feather weave was really worth. You know, we we don't need to investigate uh, the crew hemming and hawing over which port to sell. That's something that I feel like can be extended to the captain. But, you know, landing at a port ostensibly just for repairs and then deciding to face one of the most dangerous forces in all of the setting, potentially risking the lives of everyone on the ship. That's something that called for a vote. So I had originally planned like this intrigue heavy, like couple episodes where they would have to go around and talk to, you know, a bunch of different key players and the crew and really win them over for this vote unfortunately Johnny's audio just tanked for the first part of that and we were just sort of left with well we you know got to the vote and whatnot but we lost all of Johnny's stuff and in trying to recover it we just had the most slap happy silly stuff leading up to it the intrigue really just kind of fell apart uh, and wasn't there so It was this like loose challenge component thing that would show off the dynamic of pirate crews and whatnot that was technically still available to me, but I didn't get a chance to enact yet. So in bringing the captain back, one of the things that I wanted to do is reassert Oromar as a powerful and influential figure. You know, I wanted the crew of the Uhuru to rally behind Oromar To really show that the captain is back, um, the captain is important, the captain was respected before, and the captain will be respected now. Um, And you can tell like from the seeding that I did in Ungoni, in order to make that meaningful, I wanted to put in a traditional challenge to Oromar's power pirates like they don't just follow the captain's orders like i said voting is a part of everything and that includes who your captain is you you have to vote on your captain and people can challenge the captain through a you know however formal it is between the pirate crews a, a formal democratic par- process like somebody can go hey i don't think our captain should be the captain anymore i i think i should or this person should be the captain and And I think we should vote on it. Um, It's obviously like a big deal thing. Like pirates weren't just swapping captains around willy nilly, but it could and did happen. If there is no confidence or, you know, shaken confidence from a large part of the crew, you can have this democratic challenge and fight for your captaincy. So I wanted to take what we had established uh, about like the voting dynamic about going around to key players winning them over to your side and then having a vote um and, and still have that be you know a bit surprising or random like have it come down to a roll and so that's kind of what i was originally trying to seed and set up i had rocco uh come forward in the ungoni arc and approach travis because I wanted there to be an element of tension between Travis and Oromar that through almost no fault of Travis's own kept getting worse. I-, I felt like it's complicated. Everybody who is part of the main party of Skyjacks has a hand in, you know, the indignity that Oromar has had to suffer as a ghost haunting his own body. Um, I have seen a couple people like, tweet or or, or or you know say aloud worries that orimar was feeling pain or whatnot that this whole time he was not feeling pain i do want to emphasize that his body and spirit are disconnected right now um he does not feel the pain of like shifts in his body uh, or, or whatever this wasn't like a long uh, period of torture because of physical pain but you know psychologically it was very difficult uh he was separated from his body. he had been betrayed by his his first mate, and then all of these people uh, uh, who accompanied him to the island and actually fought to defend him initially were suddenly using his body as a prop and and using his reputation to command his ship um. So there has to be tension between Orimar and the main, you know, cast of the show. Otherwise, I, I don't think, you know, bringing Orimar back uh, with a PC really kind of honors the thing that we're trying to correct by casting the character and giving him a larger share of agency in the story. Um, And a lot of people have noticed that I made Travis the linchpin of that. And the reason is, Travis's whole attitude, you know, when uh things break down, Dref ultimately, like, died sort of doing what Oromar, you know, asked him to do, more or less. We'll, we'll get more into that, but Dref was on the ship and as a necromancer at Oromar's behest, and Dref was asked to that landing party, you know, in part because... If something bad went down on that island, Oromar would have a backup plan in Dref. And that kind of panned out. Um, you know, Dref obviously went his own way and took opportun- like uh, advantage of the experience to like further his own experiments and whatnot. But ultimately, although it didn't go exactly the way Oromar wanted, it is kind of part of Oromar's overall plan. Jonnet is 15 uh so yes you know he is obviously responsible for for being a part of this but like he is especially at the time that this happened he was a much less mature kid he is somebody who happened to be in the wrong place at the right time um he also like everybody else kind of jumped in to defend Ormar on this island um and I find it harder to justify you know, staying anger between Jonet and Oromar. I I do think we'll see a little bit in the future, uh, but I, I don't think that is the main point of contention between those two. Then we come to Gable. Gable is someone that I do think, like, bears a similar responsibility to Travis, but Gable's attitude is entirely different than Travis's. I think... If you were to encounter Gable and like go after Gable about being upset over how Gable has taken advantage of you, your reputation, your ship, your body, what have you, Gable is just going to be a lot more contrite. Travis is a lot more flip about literally everything, which I I think it makes it easier to be annoyed with Travis um, and, and therefore it makes it easier to be angry with Travis. And I wanted to play on that. I I figured the most difficult person uh, to to win Orimar over, or at least kind of mollify the righteous anger that that's going on for him, would be Travis. And we saw in the Grand Fire that uh, Orimar kind of lashed out at both Gable and Travis uh, to you know begin his revenge. He through the grand fire forced travis to reveal the whole charade and he also forced gable to reveal that they are a fallen angel um these were both to like make uh their positions on on the ship more uncomfortable to you know bring some of their secrets in the open to make them feel as exposed as orimar felt not being in control of his own body um this is a, a long in the tooth arc, but, you know, all, all goes to say that I wanted this element of tension between Oromar and Travis to be explored in a number of different ways. And one of those was to just grab Travis uh, and have people who were potentially on the Uhuru crew who were not happy with Oromar um, and, and not happy with his return use Travis as a prop to further their own agenda oromar like being dead and technically not relinquishing control of the ship in death and also taking a much lower payout for the featherweave specifically from a group that oromar has a, a previous relationship with and one that we know has a romantic angle to it that the tempest armada and sifa the bandit queen like if you were, if you your ship had received an offer of like, I think was it one or or two million gold bars, and you went with an offer that was fifteen thousand gold bars and a hundred favors, I think you would feel justified in being a little upset, even if they didn't hear any of the offers that actually came from you know everybody else. Everybody can kind of do their own figuring on how much that feather weave was worth. And I don't think it's difficult to come to the conclusion that the decision that ultimately got made wasn't the one that gave everybody on the crew the most money. A payout like that could have allowed everyone who was on the Uhuru to retire um, and retire as very wealthy people. And obviously, you know, that did not happen. So I I figured it's reasonable that there is a contingent of the crew that is just upset with Oromar for a couple reasons. And Travis has reason to be upset with Oromar. I I don't think the character is, but like Travis is someone who went from being the quartermaster, the heroic quartermaster who negotiated a 60% share of the featherweave from the civility job Uh, through this, you know, wild gambling gambit uh, back in Wolf's Tooth. Um, You know, Travis, like, obviously was not that good at being a quartermaster, but being a negotiator, being a face for the Uhuru, I I do think he was good. And and he went from, like, this valued position on the ship to being one of the most despised people on the ship because of the position that Oromar put him in. So if you are somebody who is trying to wrest control of the Uhuru and the Featherweave away from Oromar, your solution would be to try and co-opt Travis's charisma, talk Travis into being the face of your challenge against the captain, and, you know, try to take the ship in a non-violent way. The plan was to have the... Main party of characters go around the ship, talk people into backing Oromar as captain once more, partially because everybody on the captain's council kind of owes Oromar and it is a way to undo or not undo, but manage some of the harm that has been done in in the period where they were, you know, controlling Oromar's body. And through that, we could show how many people on the ship and and which, you know, components of the ship were behind Oromar, pro Oromar, more or less. And I I, kind of made that challenge kind of easy. There there would be a few groups on the ship who were skeptical of of Oromar. Like, especially if somebody is dead and has returned from death um, and also people who are not him were controlling the ship for a while. Like I, I feel like it is not hard to jump to the conclusion that the captain is somehow weaker than he has been or, you know, Oromar Vale's name does not mean as much as it used to. And I, I, I wanted to like make some members of the ship that there, there are also like people who joined the ship later on, like Jane and Plif, uh joined the ship after Oromar was already dead they never knew the captain is a living man so you know they would have to kind of win over those new members of the crew uh it, it would be a challenging thing to bring people like that onto Oromar's side um it, it wasn't going to be an especially difficult challenge because I ultimately did want the vote to go towards the captain though if they did lose then It would have just been a much more difficult challenge to take the ship to to fight, you know, people on the ship, because no matter what, at the end of the vote, we were going to have the silver bullet attack. Rocco and the Rowdy R's were always going to be hedging their bets that the vote wouldn't go their way and that they would just have to steal the feather weave instead of emerge in control of the ship. Trying to puppeteer Travis in some way. Um, And that attack would obviously be the catalyst for Oromar to once again appear as a strong captain to win over maybe people who were skeptical and dispatch those who were openly disloyal. Um, you know, I, I, did, I obviously didn't want the results of whatever to be undermining the democracy of the whole thing. So no matter what, after they beat back the silver bullet, there would have to be another vote where, you know, again, like at this point, it would be clear that Oromar had proved himself, had won people over, had shown that he is the captain uh, that, that he was in life. But yeah, that was the basic setup, and I think as everybody who has listened to this arc knows, that's not how it went. I started to try and establish some of that intrigue, uh, but the choices that people made just shifted things a lot more towards action. I had originally planned for uh, the, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of uh, the wasp ship but it 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 is the hive uh, is like well, the translation of that name. Ah, I should look it up, but I am too tired and too sick to do that. Anyway, I was going to have that ship like be a clutch thing that could come in and turn the tides of the combat. But like I did put it in a player's hand. I was like, Hey, where's this ship? And Nathan's like, Oh yeah, they're back in Ngoni collecting recipes. And I'm like, It is going to be hard to justify uh, getting that ship here then. So I kind of just had to put them on their own with that. Um, Also, Oromar and Travis discovered the mutiny like a lot quicker. And, you know, to Nathan's credit, we were also flashing back to the time that Oromar had performed a mutiny on the ship before it was the Uhuru. I don't know if I've established it yet, but the, the Uhuru used to be called the Obedience. Um, and, you know, Orimar performed this mutiny alongside uh, key players like Calavar and Spit. Uh, Spit, who you know, we're really establishing Spit and Orimar go way back to the initial days of Orimar's captaincy. Anyway, in giving us these flashbacks, Nathan was able to establish elements that they and I had discussed about Orimar's backstory and whatnot through action scenes and actually like enveloped inside action scenes, having those flashbacks accompany the combat itself that we did was a really dynamic way to do it. And I feel like Ormar is a much more solidly established character, even if there are still a lot of mysteries swirling around him. I think we got to see him be cool and sympathetic, tough, and also like in a period of uncertainty, which was really great. So because of all of the stuff that I had like prepared for this, I can sort of walk through my document a little bit um i had in order to try and set up this intrigue i I had sort of established like what the facts are so i laid out the the current captain's council bathroom barry is the quartermaster I, i wrote in my notes he's too distracted with essential work to really be involved um that only half panned out uh the more we investigate bathroom Barry as a character, the more powerful he becomes. And it turns out that he was able to like spot the mutiny very early on. um, And is one of the reasons that we kicked over from intrigue into action so quickly. Um, I never, ever want to be the person who is taking power away from bathroom Barry. So when Tyler just has Barry do a thing, he does that thing, you know, If Barry can tell Travis is a changeling, if Barry can spot like gaps in the work schedule for the Uhuru, he's gonna. Um it was exciting and unexpected. Um after that we we had Gable's helm, who I wanted to start Gable away from the ship, so I said that Gable was on a hunting trip. Um that that, that's the thing that I had established originally but uh the interesting caveat that liz added to that of course was the uh bachelor party aspect to the hunting trip which um we'll see in the next arc has established like a larger plot line for for wendell than like i was initially anticipating um still super exciting Uh, i I got us a chance to like investigate leviathans and whatnot which i think is very cool but yeah that, that that's that I had Jonnet as the Star Watcher. Um, You know, Jonnet is Jonnet. He's not going to betray the captain. Also, I put down that he's really too young to fully support a challenge. And then Fella Ferretti as the cook. I do think the cook is kind of an essential member of the captain's council in at least the Uhuru. And for Fella Ferretti, I was like, the cook likes to mix things up. Uh, Especially... You know, being Guy Fieri, he would, I think, kind of be open to a challenge because he's a weirdo. Nothing wrong with him. Just a weirdo who likes to change things and slather stuff in donkey sauce. Um, you know, then I had influential members of the crew. We've got Spit, who is an Oromar loyalist. Uh, Nodos, who feels the ship generally made the right moves recently and honestly can't credit that to Oromar uh Noto's of course looking to gable for leadership this is part of i'm, I'm sure people have spotted like a larger nodos plot line uh that really has been seeded kind of throughout this series um but this i felt like it was a good chance to expand it i had jane new to the ship but very resourceful is open to being swayed one way or the other and willing to offer an endorsement jane i view as you know even back in the star wars campaign somebody who is extremely canny extremely savvy and extremely competent um when i brought jane and pliff onto the show i knew that despite gables or despite gables despite liz's protests i, I knew i wanted jane to step back into a role partially because we needed more female crew members um partially because i i just like jane as a character um but you know i i wanted jane to be although she is new to the ship she took advantage of being new to the ship and kind of became like the voice of people who were new to the uhuru taking that on as a role and you know using her intelligence using her capability to advocate for people who are in a similar position um we had wendell who is injured and in trying to support a family uh wendell respects fail vale, but needs to know there is a plan behind the risks that he takes that is the big thing with the swapping of resources instead of taking a big payout in bougainith uh taking a hundred favors from the tempest armada potentially that could lead you to collect a much much larger like payday uh if you savvily and cannily use the resources of a hundred ships in the tempest armada to get big scores but you know you can't take something like that make an investment like that um because it's a huge gamble unless you really know what you're doing um and, you know, it at this point is not clear, like, how much was Oromar planning when he took the hundred favors? Is it just a favor to Sifa? Is this just an overture to his love rather than taking care of his crew? Um, some people, younger people, more adventurous people might be able to take that in stride and go, yeah, let's let's turn those hundred favors into something that's way more than a million gold bars. Um, but folks like Wendell are like, Hey, I got mouths to feed at home. Um, you know, obviously it changed, did not come up. Then we've got, uh, Rocco who, you know, I knew was going to be a Calavar loyalist, um, who is part of the contingent of the crew vocally dissatisfied with Oromar. Then we've got the wasp. Oh, right here. The wasp as the Mazinga flies with the Uhuru, they could vote if the council makes an effort to contact them. I think, uh, the wasp is again a canny and clever person that's one of the reasons that that character is now kind of in control of another ship in the fleet she's experienced uh she's a lot more conservative and reserved than many of the other like powerful voices on the uhuru but i do think ultimately she would have backed orimar um If like they had dispatched someone to go notify uh, the Mazinga, uh, they could have brought in the Wasp and everyone who was crewing uh, the Mazinga to come in and support Oromar as captain. So then I laid out like a political process for uh, (laughs) challenging a a sitting captain. Um, I'll just I'll just read these notes if there are no members of the captain's council willing to sponsor a challenge there must be a majority vote Uh, the heart bell uh, is rung to muster the crew someone declares the challenge there must be three grievances brought to bear and a nomination for a new captain um let's see here i've got little sub bullet points that say There's a period of six months where the, oh, these are the grievances. There's a period of six months where the ship avoided opportunities because the captain and leadership were unfit. Uh, The feather we've captured on the civility should have allowed the crew to retire. The cash payout was a fraction of what they were expecting. The payment we received only matters if we have a plan. What is that plan? Um, Those were the two grievances. The other was going to kind of revolve around travis and the mistreatment of interim leadership sort of saying that people like travis are hamstrung by an egotistical captain um after those grievances are laid out the crew votes to accept or reject the challenge if a challenge is accepted the challenger negotiates the terms of the challenge uh so this was going to be a big like thing were they going to censure oromar Were they going to depose him? Were they going to kick him off the crew? Like a lot of different opportunities were open. Um, But then I had like the secret heist plot line where I was trying to seed in that while all of this intrigue was going on, this big, loud intrigue where we've got to shore up support and do votes and whatnot. In the background, there were going to be the people who eventually became the rowdy R's uh, who were just working to steal the featherweave from the true uh, from the crew and kind of using the vote as a distraction from doing that. This brings us to the other bit of prep that I did that actually did manage to end up into this arc, which was the skyship air combat rules uh, that I wrote for the game. Um, so we use Genesis um, right now, at least, uh, for Campaign Skyjacks. Um, it is a generic role-playing system. They do have vehicle rules. Um, for those that don't know, Genesis is also the uh, game system used in the Star Wars role-playing system that Fantasy Flight put out. I did not love uh, the vehicle combat like rules in that system mainly because i I felt like it disconnected players from their characters like you were probably using on your turn actions for the ship instead of actions at your character i did want uh like it to feel like the players were in control of the ship. Like they were involved in ship stuff and not just have it be stuff that I was narrating in the background or whatever. I wanted it to feel relevant and ultimately be something that the players controlled. Otherwise, uh, you know, when we eventually do do climactic ship to ship battles, they would be disconnected from the process and that wouldn't be fun for anyone. Um, So I wrote up rules essentially allowing people to, Both play as their characters and seize control of the ship because skyship to skyship combat is just so much larger than any combat that we've experienced. And it is extremely important what individuals are doing at the same time as it being extremely important what the collective is doing. So I, you know, looked at the structure and and I wrote up a bunch of like moves and maneuvers uh, that that people could use during these combats. Uh, I think it's like a seven or eight page document um, sort of using both the skills that characters would have that would be, you know, related to controlling a ship. At the same time as leveraging the crew, expanding the mechanics of the Uhuru death chart, allowing people to commit specific crew members and portions of the crew in order to do certain actions, uh, but in the end, like, have that be... A risk to those characters um you know i I do think that is a really compelling lever and in whatever system ultimately we end up doing campaign skyjacks with i I think you're going to see elements of that you know establishing and making important these personal relationships with these npcs that are necessarily a part of your life because they're also a part of the crew and then risking those in order to achieve things um or, or you know, entrusting uh, your crew to achieve things. I, I think it is an interesting dynamic. I, I think it reflects the overall dynamics of piracy. Um, the other thing that is involved is the damage that you're taking. Like I, I split between damage to the hull, which... In a skyship is not really as important as it is in a a water ship. You know, if you punch a hole in the hull of a sailing ship on the water, uh, it will start taking on water and sinking. You punch a hole in a skyship unless you are hitting crew with that or like you somehow managed to hit the powder room or something. It's not going to matter that much. It will suck. Uh, There's a chance that it could become dangerous or you could lose cargo. But like destroying the hull does not matter as much as the mechanical components to the ship, the furnaces, the rigging, uh, the, the sails. Like these are things that I wanted to emphasize as the most essential parts of the ship. So when we think about a skyship to skyship battle and we think about cannons, that's really what is at play um so you know i I made like the systems chart of how like you could do attacks that would specifically target systems it would be harder to achieve those attacks but the effects could be devastating they could affect your ship's ability to move around they could affect your ship's ability to escape um damaging the systems of an enemy ship is incredibly important uh, but I wanted Skyship Combat to be even more complicated because boarding is a huge strategy that, that pirates used back in the day. And, and boarding is essential. It does not matter if you are a ship with, you know, well, I, I don't want to go as far as to say doesn't matter, but um, you might be a ship that has like 60 cannons, uh, 30 on each broad. Going up against a ship that has 20 on each broad, but if that ship with 20 has a crew of 150 and you've got like 30 people total on your mercantile crew, you're not going to win that encounter. As soon as they catch up with you, unless you sink them very quickly, they're going to board you, overpower you, and you can only man half of your cannons at once. Uh, And this was a huge dynamic in in pirate ships back in the day. Like, it was really chasing and overtaking, flying a black flag, letting them know, hey, you're a pirate ship. Um, And the captains of those ships have to run a calculation. Okay, do we fight and potentially die and lose everything? Or do we surrender and negotiate to keep a larger part of our cargo? So I designed a system for boarding and capturing different positions on the ship that also you know covers damage to the hull and covers damage to systems and covers how much of your crew you're committing to doing each task because like if you've got a crew on a ship with a lot of cannons like you can commit Uh, uh, the majority portion of your crew to man those cannons. However, that means you have more spare crew for doing things like maneuvers and whatnot. So everything about it is kind of like a a resource management, risk-reward, tactical system. It is, uh, as Nathan responded when I sent this over to the team, crunchier than expected. Um, But I think also important. Um, and in whatever ultimate skyjack system I'm doing, like those are the tools that I'm playing with that has to be part of the vehicle combat. Uh, this also creates a, I also put together a system for, uh, parlay after the battle is over, you know, you have to negotiate with the enemy ship. Um, unless you have killed every last person, like there is still like the danger of, Hey, We could all decide to fight to our last, and you will eventually win, but if everybody on the ship fights to their last, you're going to suffer way more losses than if you negotiate to just take a portion of our cargo and send us on our merry way. Um, and I had set up a, a similar leverage system to the negotiation system that I used for the broker and young blood negotiation. I, I just wanted people, I, I wanted everything to feel like it mattered. Um, like if you manage to destroy most of your systems or, you know, if goodness forbid, like the enemy managed to destroy most of your systems, damage your hull. I want that to factor into the negotiation, um, I want the mechanical elements to also interplay with the roleplay elements, and you know, I I think my group, uh, especially for being a generally rules averse group, I think they did really well with this. Um, we're probably not gonna be hanging out uh with Genesis much longer. Uh that opens a larger discussion of like how I'm gonna move forward. But um it, it was good to do this in the structure of a system that I am familiar with so that I can then move forward and, and take what I think worked uh and port it over to whatever we happen to do next. Um, That brings me to the last part of my little discussion here, and that is, of course, Calivar. Calivar being a new enemy that we are introducing to Campaign Skyjacks that is actually an extremely old enemy. All the way back in our first Session Zero, before Jonnet was even a character that was going to be involved in the show at all, like Tyler... Had originally for the session zero built an entirely different character, and the day one came with with a brand new concept that ended up being Jonet, so it was worth it. Um, well, not brand new concept because the the seer aspect was still like a part of things. Anyway, um, in this in- initial like uh, session zero. I wanted to, for the mutineers, for whatever happened on that island, I wanted to create like dark mirror versions of the PCs that were part of a Calivar's captain's council, with like you know led by Calivar, all of these people reflecting the PCs and whatnot. Um, because I was like, yeah, you know they defeated them on that island or whatever, but they can come back. You know, we it, it is not over between them. Um, and what ended up happening is we really didn't have many ideas for things apart from Calivar, the crocodile man, for whatever reason, that is something that stuck. And my PCs constantly remembered, like Johnny said, it is one of the few things that he has ever written down. So I knew that Calivar, the crocodile man was going to have to show up. Um, I, in Skyjacks did not want to have a lot of non human characters um you know this wasn't going to be like i kind of decided in that initial session 0 after talking to people because i did put the option out like hey are we going to have a lot of fantasy you know Uh, species in here. We're going to have elves and dwarves and whatnot. Nobody was interested in that. I didn't think it fit tonally, but people got stuck on the idea of Calivar the Crocodile Man. And I was for a while going like, well, are there animal people in the setting? And as we played a little bit, it's like, no, that's not really kind of appropriate for what we're doing. So I, you know, Had this thing, this one last piece of our initial session zero. I I think it's one last piece. I do need to give it another listen because soon I might be able to release it because all the spoilers will be done. Um, I needed to take this last piece and, and figure out where it fit and how to incorporate it because it was clearly something that people liked. You know, Johnny remembered it, and I'm choosing to believe that he remembered it for a reason. Um, and, you know, ultimately I cut the rest of the dark mirror characters and I fixated on Calivar and was like, how are we going to bring Calivar back? There was a little bit of alluding to him. You know, we have mentioned his name previously. I think it might've even slipped that there was a crocodile man at some point, but it was such an out there thing that didn't seem to match with the setting that I, I think a lot of people managed to, to glaze over it. But yeah, um, we had this thing and now we have Calvar, and thanks to Nathan, we have fleshed out Calvar a little bit more. Um, I didn't know exactly what the relationship between Oromar and Calvar was going to be like before th- I sat down with Nathan and talked to them and really had this arc. Um, now Calvar, like we know, is a factor out there in the world, it is trying to strike at Orimar and trying to strike at Orimar in clever ways obviously there's going to be a confrontation between those two figuring out where that confrontation is going to be is going to be interesting because like now there are a couple or Vale uh adversary NPCs floating around out there we, we've got Calvar and we've got Olivia Youngblood um between those two like we're going to have some really really interesting challenges to the ship um a a lot of you know tactical combat and like plans and whatnot being a big part of the action that i i cannot wait to pay off on um but yeah calivar as a character is uh that's one of the few pickups that we did is my original narration for the introduction of calivar i didn't think was as strong so i jumped back in and uh recorded a new one that was a little bit stronger, took a little bit more time to introduce him and give him kind of the gravitas that, that I want him to have as a character. Um, but we can look forward to Calvar showing up in future arcs of the show. Um, and, and that's it for the Silver Bullet arc. Like I said, it is a shorter arc, and that's mainly because it is here to give... A good platform for Oromar to to you know reassert himself as the captain of the ship to to welcome Nathan onto the show and you know set up cool stuff and a bunch of really unexpected stuff happened. It did not go the way I planned, but I'm super grateful for the way everything worked out. Uh, I think the discoveries we made along the way are wonderful, and I really hope everyone enjoyed listening to it. With that. I will note next week we are taking off, uh, for American Thanksgiving. There will be no Skyjacks next week. No, no one shot next week. Next week is off the week after that. We have our filler content. Like I said, we're going on a hiatus. It is is not a real hiatus as there's still going to be content, uh, that is coming out on non-holiday days for the show. Um, the so the week after uh, the week of Thanksgiving, we are going to be back with an episode of All My Fantasy Skyjacks. Uh, I sat down with Jeff Stormer, Aaron Katana Sayez, and Drew Mirzieski, and we answered some cool prompts to develop new stuff for the world of Sphere, some of which uh, shows up in the next arc, like some of that mythology that we built is already like recorded uh into our new arc, which I am extremely excited about, and I hope all of you are too. That new arc, I believe, is gonna start up in January. Um I'm not committing to the specific day that it's starting up, but I will let you know through this feed when that happens. Um thanks everybody so much for listening to this behind the scenes talk. I am so tired. My voice is dying. But I, I really hope it was illuminating for everyone. I, I sincerely hope you enjoyed this arc. And remember, there are no kings. Take flight. Campaign Skyjacks is a One Shot Network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Jonat Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at LizAnderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at E N T. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash TheNeonCaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG, or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A R N E. T-A-R-R-O-T-T You can find more of his work at atptunes.com This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast Neo Scum Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup the World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games.
1: To the strangers have ever been kind And once for our friends near right twice to the dearest we're leaving behind who you know we can never deny the call of the sky
0: welcome to character creation cast a show where we create and discuss characters the best part of role-playing games with guests using their favorite systems I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter.
2: And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles
0: we learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com.